0: Log Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is the solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education, and a variety of other disciplines. This is your host, Brian Perkins. So um, a lot of you have tuned in today knowing that, um, you know, generally uh, my podcast and radio show um, is live and and available to listen starting on Wednesdays, usually after 6 p.m. This week is a very special week because um, it's, I'm in celebration of 10 years as a radio show and podcast. You know, I've had people laugh and say, are you serious? 10 years of the podcast, have podcasts been around that long? Well, yeah, they have um, actually uh, a little longer than 10 years, but I got in pretty early on podcasts and just kept plugging away at it. And before you know it, 10 years is here. And so this week, we have a broadcast every day at 6 p.m., except Friday is at 2 p.m. So tonight, I have a special guest with me, and I'm going to tell you about her in just a minute, but I'm going to tell you um, about the rest of the week uh, so that you can join in, and then I'll introduce tonight's guest. Tomorrow night, we have an episode um, with uh, three special guests. Uh, The topic is Black Men Don't Cry, and it's with uh, Dr. Dennis Chambers, uh, Michael Eatman, and Dr. Victor Ferguson. Um, On Wednesday is Why Leaders Lie with uh, an author and Professor Eric Alterman. Um, On Thursday, again, 6 p.m., is a panel of current school leaders from all over the country, uh, Miami, Chicago, L.A., Um, uh, with uh, the topic, What's Changed in School Leadership. And finally, on Friday, we close out with a special simulcast that's going to be on YouTube Live, um, but also live radio right here, an open uh, forum on uh, educational leadership where we have uh, a live studio audience of leaders and and aspiring school leaders um, broadcasting live from New York City. So tonight, I'm here in New York City broadcasting live um, with an author and parent uh, of New York City Schools. Um, she is a Amazon uh, best-selling author and has uh, written in New York Times. Uh, she wrote a book, Getting into New York City Kindergarten, Getting in New York City High School, as well as she's produced uh, a website on uh, New York City School Secrets uh, focused on Parents helping other parents with uh, the educational process in New York. So she's written uh, in Education Post, New York Daily News, New York Post. Um, she lives in New York City with her husband and her three children. And I'm delighted to uh, start this week uh, with an education topic um, with Alina Adams. Welcome, Alina.
1: Thank you so much for having me Brian and thank you for having me celebrate your 10 years. I remember when podcasts first began a decade ago and people weren't really sure what they were going to be. So you got in right on the ground floor.
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. It's exciting um and exciting to look forward. You know, I I have said to my audience over and over again that you know, really I, I love having conversations with so many uh, interesting people who've written, and you are no exception. Um, I'm glad to have you on, and thank you again for agreeing to come on the show. Um, you know, there's so many things that we could talk about, and um, I, I would like to start with. You know, I know you're a parent, and and it kind of seems like that you you started out with getting in uh, to New York City kindergarten. Uh, probably after your experience with your kids in kindergarten and as they've moved on through the system, looked into uh, following up with that with New York City High schools. Is that right?
1: Well, that's exactly what happened. You're 100% correct. To back it up a little bit, my background is in writing novels and in television production. So that's what I was doing professionally. But then I had a child in New York City. My husband is a born and bred New Yorker, born and raised in Harlem. He's one of those people. You know, he believes there's probably other cities in the world, but why really test that theory? (laughs) So I knew that we would be living in New York and raising our children in New York. And so when we were applying our oldest son to kindergarten, he's 23 now, um, I was just stunned. I was blown away by how complicated the process was and how difficult the city and the Department of Ed made finding even the most basic information, something as simple as what school am I zoned for, much less what programs does this school offer? How do I apply to this school? So after I went through the whole process with my oldest, I said, okay. Parents need to know. I'm one of those information needs to be out there people. Um, I always say you can't have true school choice until you know all of your choices. And so because my background was in being a novelist and in television production, I had worked for ABC Sports. I'd worked for ABC Daytime, ESPN, TNT. So I had done a lot of nonfiction television production in addition to writing fiction. I said, hey, you know what fixes everything? Books. Books fix everything so i went ahead and i wrote my first book getting into nyc kindergarten and i said well that's it everything i know mm-hmm. i put mm-hmm. down in this book i made yeah. it available on amazon for 9.99 which is the lowest that could possibly be um as i said you know if you can't afford the book for 9.99 you have problems beyond what i can help you with sure, so sure. for me If your issue is trying to get into school, I wrote this book, and I thought, oh, well, that's easy. It's done. I solved the problem. But it turns out that people wanted more information. For instance, at my son's preschool, they said, well, will you come in and give a workshop? And I'd never done that before, but I'm always one of those say yes, you know, in the sense that if the universe throws you something, say yes. So I said yes, and I came in and I did a workshop at my son's preschool and people were like, well, I still have questions. Do you do one-on-one consults? And I thought, yes. And <laughs> then I started hearing, will you come speak at this other preschool? And I said, yes.
0: Yeah, and yeah. it
1: sort of grew so much bigger. I thought, because honestly, I didn't hold anything back in the book. If I'm I not- knew it, I put it down and I also made it an electronic book. So there were links to everything, to the website where you register, to websites where you can get more information. I I wasn't keeping anything back, but people really wanted to talk to me. And so it grew from there. And then my oldest got old enough where he had to apply to New York City high school. And as I like to say, getting into New York City high school makes getting into kindergarten feel like warm puppies and kittens in a basket. It is (laughs) so much more draconian, So much more insane that I wrote a book about getting into NYC High School. And again, will you give a workshop? Yes. You know, I go to churches. I go to middle schools. I go to um, community organizations that might be sports-focused or some just anywhere where there are families that desperately need this information, I go there. So yeah. it turned out that, yes, I ended up doing this because I went through all of it myself in the sense that I saw how difficult it was, and I wanted to make it easier for other people.
0: Wow, thank you. Yeah. And, and I, I, have, I don't know a lot about it, but I have heard um, stories about people having to start looking, as soon as a mother, and this may be an exaggerating for some, but as soon as a mother learns of a pregnancy, um, she starts looking for places <laughs> for um for for kindergarten or for preschool. And then, I mean that's what it was, say twenty years ago, then I heard, um, and again, maybe an exaggeration, before pregnancy you better know where you're gonna put your kid. Um so um I, I've heard horror stories and I I can only hope that some of that gets better. Um, over time, and thank you for the work you've done to help parents uh, do that. Um, and you know, well,
1: it's a bit th- apocryphal. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but oh, I was okay. going to say it's a bit apocryphal. But I will tell you that the youngest um, student that I've ever been consulted about was six months old, and wow. I did have one parent ask me when would be a good time to get pregnant. I did explain that that depends. Are you looking at public school or private school? Because the cutoffs for birthdays are different. But I will tell you this, I do recommend people start thinking about the process two years in advance if moving is on the table. If you Uh, are open to moving into a school zone, then I strongly recommend people give themselves two years because that will give you time to actually find an apartment you like. Because what happens is sometimes people panic at the last minute and then they rent a place, you know, there's three of them and it's a one bedroom. So what I recommend people do is if they are open to moving for a school, which, as you know, is sort of a tried and true tradition, people talk about how, oh, you know, I'm against school choice, but then they rent in a zone that they want to go to the school and don't see that that they are exercising school choice Mm -hmm. by doing that. Yeah, so if yeah. people are open to that, then I do give them two years. I wouldn't say when the, pregnant, when the stick turns blue. I wouldn't say necessarily then. <laughs> but you might as well start thinking about it if you, for instance, like I have some people say, well, I really want to stay in Brownstone, Brooklyn. Well, you know, it can take a long time to find what you're looking for that you can afford in Brownstone, Brooklyn. So
0: mm-hmm. the more
1: time you can give yourself with a school zone in mind, the better.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Alina, you're dating yourself because they don't have sticks that turn blue anymore. They say pregnant now or not pregnant. Oh, you know, the okay. Though. My my kids are <laughs>
1: twenty-three. My kids are twenty-three. The yeah. middle one is going to turn nineteen next week, and my youngest is fifteen. So yeah. yes, I am dating yeah. myself.
0: <laughs> Uh, exactly, so but uh no, thank you for that and and so um those those are available those of you who are interested, thank you for the advice. those of you who are interested uh, the titles of those books are uh, getting into New York City kindergarten and getting into New York City high school um and and you might i've I've been to the website new york city n y c actually NYC NYC
1: school,
0: school secrets dot yeah, com um, and so I'm, I'm really interested in talking to you um, about some of your thoughts. You wrote about, um, also about uh, the idea of when grades and test scores don't match. Now, some people listening in, you may be wondering, so what is that about? Um, even more recently, you know, just kind of the pervasive uh, problem, not just in New York City, but around the country with an age-old and I, I won't call it a phenomena, but an a age-old um, challenge that is known as grade inflation. Um, uh, a new report was just published uh, this past May looking at the past decade of grade inflation um, and looking um, at in high school where they were just saying that basically um, high, scores, uh, high school grade point averages um, have gone up. Um, but while um, even though GPAs increased, um, that the composite scores on the ACT at least have gone down. Now, I know there are a lot of people out there that say, you know, there are a lot of problems with these uh, standardized tests, and I think that even more so compounds the issue of why this is something we should be talking about is that, that students are getting grades um, that don't necessarily match what they're able to do or what's being measured. So however you look at it, there's an issue there. And so um, the, the report that I'm talking about is one that's uh, available it's a, uh, for free. It's a research report just came out in May. Uh, authors of Sanchez and more to researchers that uh, were hired by ACT That that is entitled Grade Inflation Continues to Grow in the Past Decade. That's the title. Um, and so I know, Alina, you had some thoughts and some experience apparently with this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so um, would love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, and so we have students who show up and do very well in school and, um, and then parents are really confused by um, their performance on whether it's the SAT, the ACT, or any number of other measures, the AP exams, for that matter. Um, and so yeah. just want yeah. to, to get your take on that.
1: Well, the piece that I believe brought me to your attention was a piece that I did at the 74, which uh, refers to the 74 million, you know, the 74 million students that are in America. And in the piece, I talked about my daughter who just finished ninth grade at one of the better New York City public schools. And she got all A's in her courses. And then she went to take the Regents exam, which in New York State are necessary for graduation. And although she passed both of the regents exams that she took, she only achieved mastery in one of them. And in order to pass the, the regents exams, you really at some point need only to get about a third of the questions right. So it was quite a disconnect between her grades and between what her standardized test scores in this particular case on the regents showed. Also in New York city, which was something else that I quoted in that 74 piece is there are schools where they show every single student has gotten either an A or a B or at least passed their course and been promoted into the next grade but not a single student has scored proficient on the state test now okay. my husband is a teacher he actually went to teachers college at one point oh, okay. and he always says he says to me, you know, if a kid is getting a 95 in my class and I see an 85 on a test, I go, that's okay because it was timed and um, the questions might have been phrased in a way that he's not used to. But he says, if a student is getting a 95 in my class and they can't even hit a 30 on the Regents exam or a 33, uh-huh. then that shows something wrong. That's something a is not. Not connected, he said, yes, you know, in fact that 's why he's the one who looked at my daughter 's scores and he said okay they 're lower than her grades, but I think they 're within the range of normal. I sort of I, I yield to him on these educational issues, but we 're talking about the fact that there are schools where entire grades are graduating without a single person passing and Something else that I quoted in my um, 74 piece was Arnie Duncan, who was Barack Obama's um, Secretary of Education for seven years. He yes. wrote in his book that when he was working in Chicago, he had all these students that were getting A's and B's in the public schools, but when it came time to take the SAT or the ACT, they weren't even close. It's not like they were on the low end. They were nowhere near hitting the kind of numbers they would need to be college ready. And as Arnie wrote, he said this is a lie that is being told to parents. Parents are Mm. being told that their kids are A and B students, which, you know, the court uses a standard of what a reasonable person. If your child is getting A's and B's in their high school, would a reasonable person assume that their child would be ready to go to college when they graduate? I think a reasonable person would, but these scores are not demonstrating that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, but, so what, what do we think this is about? Is this really, you know, I, I haven't talked to teachers, but I know about it specifically but i know that i've been in enough conversations where you hear things about um parents challenging and so some teachers are gun shy. um but you also hear about um in some places not and again these are these are national this is a national issue this is not just new york city um but i've heard people talk about where in some places there's pressure from um, leaders in, at various levels um, about grades and what have you. I know, uh, and I have the luxury of doing this at the university of saying, you know, to my mm-hmm. students, listen, don't don't focus on grades. You know, I've had students who come to me with A minuses and, and in tears asking why did they get an A minus. Um, mm-hmm. but, but in some places, you know, there there are there's a lot of pressure. Um, on on teachers not to assign grades that are low grades. What are you hearing right. either from parents or other yeah. people about why why the grade inflation then? Why not? Right. Just- well,
1: two things. Those are two two separate questions. After this piece ran, I got numerous emails from teachers which began with "Don't use my name" or "Keep this confidential." But <laughs> sure. I have teachers tell me tell me things like, um, I was told by the principal, I can't fail anyone. So even if they don't do a lick of work, um, I have to give them at least a D or people uh, say, I was told you have to have this many A's in the class, this many B's, this many C's and this many D's. So you can do that math any way you want. But the fact is I have to show that there's X number of A's X number of B's X number of C's. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, what I'm hearing from parents, and I don't disagree. There are definitely parents who are pressuring teachers. I don't want to pretend that this is only an issue from the administrative side. There's definitely teachers will tell me um, a parent will go over my head and they'll call the principal and they'll say, how dare you allow this? So I don't want to suggest that parents are not pressuring teachers, in some cases, obviously. But I also hear from parents and they say, I go into a parent-teacher conference and in New York, by the way, in public schools, those are literally three minutes a piece with each teacher. So it's not exactly like you're having an in-depth conversation. Or, but, you know, some teachers will call, and I, I don't mean to suggest that that doesn't happen either. Yeah, yeah. But I speak to the teacher, and the teacher says to me, oh, she's doing great. She's doing terrific. She's doing A-level work. She's exactly where she should be. And then my child takes a regent or a state test or something like that. And my A student, he receives a two, just as an example. In New York City, you can get a four, three, two, one. Three is uh, meets expectations. Four is above expectations. Two is below. And mm-hmm. so my child was getting A's and the teacher tells me she's doing great. She's got no problems, got a two. And I go to the teacher and I say, I don't understand. What is this? And the teacher says to me, oh. The people judging the test, they have no idea. I see her every day. I know she's doing fine. Listen to me. Don't listen to them. But again, mm-hmm. if I can go back to my husband. The teacher, the way that he was explaining it to me, she says, yes, if I have an A student who has test anxiety or who maybe even just missed bubbles, you know, these things happen, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I see, you know, like a 75%, I'm not thrilled and I'll want to work with the student more, but that at least shows he has command of three quarters of the material. But if an A student cannot even get 33%, I mean, if you're bubbling in, Statistically speaking, you should be able to guess. You should be able to do all C because everybody knows the answers always C. So you should be able to go down and do all C for every question and you should be able to get more, at least close to a third of the answers correct just yeah. guessing. Yeah. Something wrong is happening here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um and and I you know, I've had various experiences, you know, and they and they you know, I I've had um you know, teachers, sometimes me as a parent, uh, come in and ask questions about, um, you know, why one, one grade or another, but more because I was looking for someone to tell me long before. I remember, uh, one of my daughters, uh, one of my daughters who had been, um, published as a, as a po a, in a book of an anthology of poetry as an eighth grader, uh, uh, scored, you know, was getting A's all in middle school at one of the top middle schools in the state in Connecticut mm-hmm. and, um, and got to ninth grade. And as a lot, some kids do ninth grade is a, is a tough year of transition mm-hmm. and about, um, a week and a half before, uh, grades are coming out, I get a call that um, she's in danger of failing um, ninth grade English. And I want to know why, or more importantly, how is that even possible, mm-hmm. um, only to learn that um, they said she hadn't turned in homework assignments. And and my question was really about um, not how, like, why didn't you give her an A? But it was, why didn't I know early enough mm-hmm. To to be able to intervene. And and so some of that, too, could be what's going on with, um, you know, with with the inflation, um, just where, oh, where
1: people are. I had a mother. I had a mother say to me, they called me in April to say that he's failing. What am I going to do in April about him failing? Why didn't I get this call in October or at least in January?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really, really tough. Um, and so, what are your what are your recommendations to people about this? I mean, you know, I know um, w- these scores often come out much later after mm-hmm. the test has yeah. been taken, though, right? You know, yeah. so they, no, they're, they're they, very
1: much
0: so. Yeah, they don't come back. You know, in a matter of weeks. Um, I think they've gotten better over the years, and it doesn't matter. I mean, I know in New York City, but it doesn't matter where you are. I know some places where. The students take the test in the spring, and parents don't know, kids don't know until in the fall when, you know, that yes. here's the, the school. Yeah. Yeah, so no, that, that definitely, definitely
1: happens. That definitely happens. Well, one of the things that I always talk about test scores when I talk to parents about schools, I say test scores don't tell you everything, but they tell you something. They're one data point. And the fact is you really need to hold the schools accountable in the sense that you, here's the thing, you can't keep being sort of brushed off with, oh, those tests are flawed, those tests, the, num, uh, the numeric way that they're calculated are flawed, I see your child in the class every day, I am the top arbiter uh, of how they're doing you can't you can't just be compliant with that unless of course you're fine with that and the fact is i have some families who deliberately choose you know schools with the progressive pedagogy where in fact students are encouraged to opt out To not take the test. And if you're fine with that, just understand that that's what it is. I have so many families that I worked with who were ecstatic about the fact that their child was in a school that defined itself as progressive and that, you know, cultivated a joy of learning and it was student directed until they woke up one morning and found out their third grader couldn't read. They went to the teacher and the teacher said, oh, she hasn't expressed an interest in reading yet. When she does, we'll be there to support her. So you have one of two things here. Either understand that's what you're getting into and Uh be prepared for the fact that Uh your child in third grade might not be interested in reading, or look at a school where there's more accountability when it comes to the test scores. Because while your own individual child's test scores might not be ready until four months later, you can look at is this a school that tends to produce high test scores which means this is how their pedagogy is oriented Mm -hmm. and if that's what you want you should do that and if you want something else just um as I like to say the rules apply to everyone not just you because I have so many people who love everything that a school uh, says until somehow it's negative towards them like they love the progressive ethos until their child isn't reading in third grade. Or conversely, they love the high-scoring charter schools like, say, a success academy, but they don't like that that comes with a lot of homework and a lot of test prep. So Uh my main thing to tell parents is when you're choosing, and here's that word choice again, a school, you have to buy what they're selling. No school is trying to trick you into sending your child to a school that does something opposite from what they claim. So if you want a school that gets kids ready for the state tests, you have to see the accountability and you have to be willing to do the work because it means, you know, test prep and worksheets coming home and parents being expected to work with their kids. Or if you want a school that is very proud of their low test scores. I have had people say, this school shows, you know, that my child is not a cookie cutter child. This is not yep. a cookie cutter school. And they're not treating her like she's a cog in a machine. Fabulous. That's what you want, that's what you should be able to have, but don't completely lose it when it turns out that their child is not performing as well on standardized tests as maybe you would like to be so the most important thing is I do you sort of asked what can be done and I turned it back on the parents because as a parent myself I know I can't march into a school and change a school I keep quoting my husband but he says remember anytime you work in a school you're working to change things for other people's kids because by the time whatever you're working on to happen happens your kid will be gone so but as a parent When you are choosing the school, you have to be prepared for both sides of it. Do you want a school that focuses on test scores or do you want a school that focuses on something else with the understanding that, yes, you might not have the test scores, and when she sits for the SAT or the ACT, Understand that because you weren't looking or paying any attention to test scores up to this point, nothing magic is going to happen. If your child has not been scoring as competent um, up on state tests, they're not going to sit down for the SAT and suddenly become a savant at taking standardized tests. It's a skill like anything else.
0: Sure, sure. Well, uh, fascinating. You know, I I also, while we have just a, uh, a couple more minutes, I wanted to get your thoughts you know. Um, also, in the news, um, we've heard people say, "Oh, it's coming." They're, you know, these universities are not going to um, look at test scores anymore, um, and it's coming. And 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 so it almost seems like it's here now, um, because um, I I just read um, in and this was a, a few months back that more than two thirds. Of colleges and universities aren't going to require the SAT uh, mm-hmm. or for the twenty-two admission cycle, and so that and that includes some elite institutions like Harvard and Stanford and and the University of California. I know has dropped um, SAT permanently as an admission requirement. So I'd love to... Well, nothing
1: permanently. There's one thing we know um, permanently by one can be permanent by another. (laughs) That's true. true. But here's here's the thing, though. First of all, um, my middle child has just been through the college process, and for sure I can tell you that, you know, your Caltechs, your Harvey Mudd, and your MITs are not dropping test scores, not the more math and engineering focused. So Uh we're talking more about the liberal arts universities. But here's the thing, though. That means that the personal statement, the essays, all of those things are going to become much, much more important. And here's the yeah. fun fact. Everybody's talking about equity. The people who can afford a writing coach, an admissions consultant who's going uh, to uh, work with them on their statement are yeah. much wealthier and much more elite than the people who sit down with an SAT prep book and really grind through it. You so are it's what right. we were trying oh. to do is if we we were trying to control for the effect of, you know, tutoring and big money by getting rid of the standardized test, we've actually swung in the completely wrong direction because guess what? Most people can learn how to answer a um, standardized test question. Writing an essay is a lot harder. I say this as a writer. I say this as someone who reads things that kids write. There are kids who are very good at standardized tests, are terrible writers, because a lot of schools don't teach writing per se, they certainly don't teach grammar and other things. So if this is an equity push, I don't see how it's doing anything but the exact opposite.
0: Wow. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, And an excellent point. Um, And and I'll tell you, You've given me, and I'm sure people listening in a lot to think think about here, especially um as we talk we've we've talked a lot about the equity question here um on this mm-hmm. broadcast. so um as I told you before we started, and you agreed that uh, thirty minutes goes by so fast we're <laughs> We're already at 32 minutes. So um, I I want to tell you, I really appreciate you coming on. You've added to me, and I'm sure everyone who's eavesdropping on our conversation today um, have benefited greatly. And so um, I know you're in New York City. If I pass across, um, I I look forward to talking to you again. But until then, um, again, thank you for being on the show. Go well and stay well.
1: Thank you so much for having me.